Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Our reading today is from Numbers chapters 26 to 28, although you'll be pleased to hear I'm not reading all of 26 and all the clans and their names, but we'll do 26, 1 to 4, and then continue in chapter 27 from verse 12. So firstly, Numbers 26, 1 to 4. After the plague, the Lord said to Moses and Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, take a census of the whole Israelite community by families, all those 20 years old or more who are able to serve in the army of Israel. So on the plains of Moab by the Jordan, opposite Jericho, Moses and Eleazar the priest spoke with them and said, Take a census of men 20 years old or more, as the Lord commanded Moses. These were the Israelites who came out of Egypt. Then from chapter 27, verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go up this mountain in the Abarim range and see the land I have given the Israelites. After you have seen it, you too will be gathered to your people, as your brother Aaron was. For when the community rebelled at the waters in the desert of Zin, both of you disobeyed my command to honor me as holy before their eyes. These were the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the desert of Zin. Moses said to the Lord, May the Lord, the God who gives breath to all living things, appoint someone over this community to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in so that the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit of leadership, and lay your hand on him. Make him stand before Eleazar the priest and the entire assembly, and commission him in their presence. Give him some of your authority, so that the whole Israelite community will obey him. He is to stand before Eleazar the priest, who will obtain decisions for him by inquiring of the Urim before the Lord. At his command, he and the entire community of the Israelites will go out, and at his command, they will come in. Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and made him stand before Eleazar the priest and the whole assembly. Then he laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord instructed through Moses. The Lord said to Moses, Give this command to the Israelites and say to them, Make sure that you present to me at the appointed time my food offerings as an aroma pleasing to me. Say to them, This is the food offering you are to present to the Lord. Two lambs, a year old, without defect, as a regular burnt offering each day. Offer one lamb in the morning and the other at twilight, together with a grain offering of a tenth of an ephah of the finest flour, mixed with a quarter of a hin of oil from pressed olives. This is the regular burnt offering instituted at Mount Sinai as a pleasing aroma, a food offering presented to the Lord. The accompanying drink offering is to be a quarter of a hin of fermented drink with each lamb. Pour out the drink offering to the Lord at the sanctuary. Offer the second lamb at twilight, along with the same kind of grain offering and drink offering that you offer in the morning. 
This is a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks for reading, Ian. Good morning, everyone. Very good to see you. And do keep your Bibles open at that reading from Numbers uh, 26 to 28. Uh, Let me pray. Our Father, we thank you very much for these words before us, uh, your word given to us, that we might know you and know ourselves. We pray for the work of your Spirit this morning that we might see and believe and be changed and so be a people who go on trusting you as we journey home to the new creation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When I was younger, I used to love roller coasters. Uh, One time my church youth group drove through the night from Edinburgh down to Blackpool to spend a day uh, on the rides. It was great fun. I've been to Alton Towers a couple of times, absolutely loved it growing up. But um, now, later on in life, not so much. Um, What once used to be exciting, I now just find plain scary. Just a couple of years ago, over in Northern Ireland, up in the North Coast, I went on a roller coaster ride. It was really a, a ride for kids. But I was so scared, I thought I wasn't gonna make it. I did, obviously, I'm here. Um, I tell you that not to um, you know, ward off any awkward invites to theme parks with any of you uh, in the future, but rather because the book of Numbers has been a bit like a roller coaster ride for the people of God. At times, real excitement, but also at times, a white knuckle ride. The book began with excitement as God's people were, were, were ordered and gathered, prepared for their victory march home to the promised land with God at the center of their midst. Real excitement. But then from Numbers 11 onwards, again and again, this cycle spiraling down of sin and rebellion and rejection of God. And of course, God's response of righteous judgment. It has been a scary book to read as well. By Numbers 21, the entire first generation that left Egypt has died out, all bar a few people. What about the second generation? Well, initially, things were looking good on the way up. We saw signs of progress, uh, trust in the Lord, um, repentance over sin, heading towards the promised land. But then last time, Numbers 25, disaster strikes again as the second generation yoked themselves to a foreign god. The sins of the first generation have been passed on to the second. If we were to press the pause button at the end of Numbers 25 from last week, we would be left wondering, what future do these people have, given what we've seen so far of the human heart in Numbers? What hope is there? And for us today, the Christian life can also be a bit of a roller coaster ride. Haven't we found this in our experience? Some seasons real excitement about being a Christian and knowing the Lord, real joy in the gospel and a desire to love the Lord and live for him. But other seasons, a hardness of heart towards the Lord, a lack of love for him, a a carelessness over sin in our lives. And as we experience the roller coaster ride of being a Christian, at times we're bound to wonder, 
What hope do we have in the future as Christians? How will we keep going if this is what life is like? Well, this final section of Numbers will be a great help to us. This week and next, we look at Numbers 26 to the end of the book, and it's the final great section of this book. We've seen the people of God ordered in Numbers 1 to 10, and then um, in disarray because of sin in Numbers 11 to 25, but this final section, 26 to the end, is a section of reordering of God's people prepared to march forward into the promised land. But this final section, although it is similar in some ways to how the book began, it's also different. It's not simply a repeat of the initial plan, like some New Year's resolution that we announce every January and then break by February. No, there are differences. And in many ways, the purpose of this whole section is to help us to persevere in our confidence in the Lord, to grow in our faith in Him, because He is the one who will keep us and sustain us through every up and down in the Christian life. It doesn't rely on us. It cannot rely on us. It must be confidence in the Lord. And so I hope and pray these chapters help us to grow our faith in Him as we press on in our journey home. Trust the Lord. Well, three points first this morning. The first is this. Remember God's faithfulness. We pick it up in Numbers 26. Look at verse 1. After the plague, the Lord said to Moses and Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, take a census of the whole Israelite community by families, all those 20 years old or more, who are able to serve in the army of Israel. Now, look, I know that uh, reading a census is about as fun as reading through a telephone directory. And Numbers has not one but two censuses. If you're reading the Bible through in a year as part of one of those plans, this is the kind of chapter that can break you as you read. But when we stop and consider the details of this second census, it, it takes our breath away. First, look at the numbers involved. If you have your Bibles, just scan forward to verse 51. As we come to the end of the census, the total number of the men of Israel was 601,730. A remarkable number. Add to that the women, the children, and we're talking about well over 2 million people. I did some research this week online, and the consensus seems to be that the average person left wandering in a desert on their own with no extra resources can last up to about three days. But it seems three days is the upper limit for any human being without water and supplies. Well, this nation has survived 40 years, not through human resourcefulness, but through divine protection. God was the one who sent the manna, the water from the rock, More than that, God provided them protection from hostile nations and from the threat of evil curses. Humanly speaking, this nation could not have survived. And it is God who has kept them. More than that, look at the timing of the census. Verse 1 confirms it. It's after the plague of Numbers 25 
when the people yoked themselves to a foreign god. Verse 4, did you notice? It's the men being counted in this census. And in chapter 25, it was the men jumping into bed with the Moabite woman. Last week, the, the Scottish rugby player, Tom Smith, was inducted into the Scottish Rugby Hall of Fame. A great honor for a lifetime of skill. Although, having seen the way Scotland have played rugby these last 20 years, I didn't even know there was a Hall of Fame uh, for Scottish rugby players. Well, look, here in Numbers 26, this census does read a bit like a Hall of Fame, but not for the glory of those mentioned, but rather a Hall of Fame giving praise to the Lord who's kept them going despite their sin. These people are trophies of God's grace, proof of God's incredible faithfulness. You see, God made a promise to Abraham all those years ago in Genesis 12 that his descendants will be brought safely into the promised land as a great nation. And when the first generation refused to trust God's faithfulness, God reaffirmed his promise to the second generation. And now this second census recorded for us shows us that God is keeping his promise, keeping this nation going. And the numbers do matter I wonder, can anyone remember how many men were numbered in the first census, right at the start of Numbers? Well, I couldn't remember myself, but I looked back for you. Numbers 1 says that there were 603,550, which means that after all that has happened, after all the sin and rebellion of the people, after all the challenges and the problems of the food and water and enemy nations, this second generation is only 1,800 people smaller than the first generation, practically the same. Only possible because of God's faithfulness. Remember God's faithfulness. I've been reading through Matthew's gospel in my quiet times this time, and uh, just recently I read Matthew 16, where Jesus made this wonderful promise. He says, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. A major survey conducted by the Church of England in 2020, just before the pandemic, found that around about 1.5% of the population in England regularly attends a C of E church. Over the last decade, that number has dropped by around 20%. Now, of course, there are many other churches in this country besides Anglican churches, but the trends are worrying, aren't they? From a human point of view, it would be easy to be discouraged about the future of the church, wondering what God is doing in our world. And of course, we don't have any specific promises about specific churches, but we do have this wonderful promise that Christ will build his church. Nothing can stop it. And so at this moment in Numbers, in the roller coaster ride of God's people, it is God's faithfulness that secures their future. There is a warning in this census. Verse 10, we're reminded of Korah and others who rebelled with him. A warning about the danger of not trusting in the Lord and going his ways. Yes, God will grow his church, 
but each of us as individuals and each local church as well, but we need to keep responding in faith and trust in the Lord. This is not a call to sinless perfection. No one is able to achieve that, not this side of glory. But it is a call to cultivate a heart of trust in the Lord. And this census, this reminder of God's faithfulness is the soil in which a trusting heart grows. Remember God's faithfulness. Next, follow God's shepherd. Back in May, Lorna and I went up to the Outer Hebrides and we spent a week in a cottage that was um, on a working sheep farm. When we arrived, there was a note through the door from the farmer next door saying that he was away for the week. <laughs> and it's amazing when the farmer was away what the sheep get up to. On two separate occasions, lambs broke into our little cottage area and we had to chase them back around to the right side of the fence. On a, on a different occasion, we um, went for a walk and we found a, a, a sheep that was trying to reach through the fence to nibble some green grass over here, despite being in a field full of lush grass, and it had got its head stuck in the fence. It was just there trapped. It had to be rescued. It was a very stressful holiday. <laughs> we only found out probably through that actually there was another shepherd around the corner who was actually keeping an eye on things. We didn't know about that shepherd. But when the farm was away, the sheep get up to all kinds of mischief, don't they? That's what sheep are like. Sheep get lost and trapped and they get on the wrong side of the fence and make silly decisions and need help. And it's a brilliant description of the people of God in numbers. It's not my description. It comes from the lips of Moses who has led the people these 40 years. Uh, we're going to skip over uh, the next section of Numbers that talks about the daughters of Zelophehad. We'll come back to that next week. It's a great story. But we pick up things again with the news that Moses is about to die. And as the news sinks in, look at how Moses responds. Verse 15, Moses said to the Lord, May the Lord, the God who, who gives breath to all things, appoint someone over this community to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in so that the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. There's no bitterness here on the part of Moses. Yes, his experience of leading God's people has been a challenging one, but as he comes to the end of his life, he cares for them greatly. He knows that they need a shepherd to look after them in the future. And the Lord hears Moses' prayer. The Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit of leadership, and lay your hand on him. And indeed, Joshua becomes the new shepherd of God's people. And it's so important for us to grasp that this is part of the reordering of God's people. But as they move forward, bearing in mind the roller coaster ride of their experience, God's People need a shepherd. They need to be cared for, intended to be told when to go out and when to come in. And there's just a hint here that Joshua, as good as he was, is not the final shepherd God's people needed. Look at verse 21. He is to stand before Eliezer the priest, who will obtain decisions for him by inquiring of the Urim before the Lord. 
You see, Joshua doesn't have direct access to the Lord like Moses did. He has to go through the priest and to use the Urim to help him make decisions. I don't know how the Urim worked. Um, Perhaps it was some way of casting lots that allowed the sovereign Lord to intervene. I, I don't know. But the point is, Joshua doesn't have direct access to God. We're left longing for a better shepherd. And of course, 1,200 years later, Jesus spoke these words recorded for us in John 10. Let me just read John 10, verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. You see, Jesus, unlike Joshua, had direct, perfect access to his heavenly Father, knowing the Father's will, able to perfectly instruct the sheep and where to go, when to come in, when to come out. He is the perfect shepherd who knows exactly what we need. For nervous sheep this morning, perhaps we're well aware of the roller coaster ride of the Christian life and we're daunted about the future. Know this we are not on our own. God is not like the farmer in the Outer Hebrides away on holiday for a week, leaving the sheep to make the best of it. When we fall into sin or when we get lost and confused, there is one who seeks us out, who draws us back, who sustains us and keeps us going. It's a great comfort for us as a church as we seek to rebuild after a tough year. Our ultimate confidence is not in the success of a vaccine rollout to return church life to normal or into a new building full of uh, extra heating and lighting and so on, or a new leadership. No, we have a good shepherd. He is the one we need. There is also there a warning for self-reliant sheep. Because it is possible for us to think that we don't need someone to tell us when to go out and when to come in. That we can survive this journey home to the new creation on our own without the shepherd, the oversight of the Lord Jesus. But of course, Numbers warns us that sheep on their own, well, they don't do very well. In John 10, the words of the shepherd matter. The sheep follow the shepherd because they know his voice. And Jesus goes on speaking to us today through his words written down for us in the Bible. Look, I know the pandemic has been so disruptive to our normal patterns of life, including our own kind of Christian discipleship and and healthy patterns of Bible reading and prayer. I wonder if we need to revisit how we're getting on in our personal devotions with the Lord, listening to our shepherd, letting him guide our lives. It's partly why we've been encouraging the church to make every effort to come back in person. I know it's not possible for everyone, but it is better being together, listening to God's word together as sheep with God's word before us. Perhaps our listening has just slipped through the pandemic. Less urgent, perhaps more lethargic in how we listen to the voice of our shepherd. Maybe it's time to mix things up. Maybe it's time to, I don't know, 
take notes during the sermon or look through the, the passage during the week on our own as we consider what we've been hearing, taking time to grapple and digest with the scriptures. There's no one way of doing it, but Numbers shows us our urgent need for a shepherd to guide us home, the words of the Lord Jesus. Remember God's faithfulness. Follow God's shepherd. Finally, count God's blessings. I wish we had more time to delve into the rich material before us in Numbers 28 and 29. As a headline, these two chapters describe two key things that people are to do when they get into the promised land. One is to offer regular offerings to the Lord, and the other thing is to mark key festivals, the offerings and the festivals. So Numbers 28, verses 1 to 8, describes the daily offering, which is to include, verse 3, two lambs, verse 5, grain and pressed olives, oil, Verse 7, there is to be also a fermented drink offering, I assume wine. And it's easy to miss the implication, but after decades of wandering in the desert, the Lord is about to bless the people in the promised land so that they have enough lamb and grain and olive oil and wine to give back to God something of the bounty he's given them. And as chapter 28 progresses, it's not just daily offerings. Verse 9, there are to be weekly Sabbath offerings. From verse 11, monthly offerings. You see, a very carefully ordered daily, weekly, monthly pattern of God's people acknowledging his providence practically with grain and lamb and grape juice and olive oil. Keeping them in the promised land, but remembering his blessings by giving back to him some of what he's given to them through these offerings. Counting God's blessings. But it's not just practical providence. There's also the festivals. The festivals helped remind God's people of his salvation. Just looking through Numbers 28 and 29, there's the the Passover festival looking back to how God protected his people from his judgment as he judged Egypt and so redeemed his people from slavery. The Feast of Weeks looked forward to the salvation completed as the people enjoyed the first harvest in the land. The Festival of Trumpets, reminding God's people of his judgment. The Day of Atonement, God's provision to escape his judgment. And the Feast of Tabernacles, reminding the people of the desert wanderings as God sustained them until they came home. All these festivals, reminding God's people of his salvation blessing, his great redemption plan for them. And why is it so critical for God's people to count their blessings in the promised land of of practical care and salvation blessings? Well, we see the numbers, how quickly the human heart wanders from the Lord. How quickly we love other gods and think we're better off without the Lord. And one of the keys to avoid a straying heart is to count our blessings from the Lord. True for Israel, back in Numbers, but true for us today as God's people. Because we too have wandering hearts, quick to run over here, run over there, anywhere apart from the Lord for our needs. 
Counting our blessings is a crucial spiritual discipline. We don't offer lambs and olive oil and those sort of things today. But we are called to have a life that's carefully centered around counting blessings. Christians often pray before a meal to thank God for the food. That's not a bad spiritual habit. But more than that, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 8 describes a financial gift from the Corinthians to help the Jerusalem church. That financial gift he he describes as an offering. It's one of the ways that we learn to give back to God from the bounty he's given us by financially giving to gospel work. In Hebrews 13, we read of offering a sacrifice of praise, singing to God about what he's done for us. That's why it's good to gather on a Sunday to to sing his praises. And perhaps during the week, I've spoken to a number of you how you found it so helpful during the pandemic to to remember God's blessings by keeping a prayer diary, writing down prayer needs, but then taking time in the coming weeks to look back to see how God's answered those prayers to, to count our blessings. Perhaps that will be helpful for some of us. And of course, the Lord's Supper is one crucial way for us to count our blessings as the New Testament fulfillment of the Old, Test- of the Old Testament Passover meal. Next Sunday, we will share the Lord's Supper together as we remember and feast on Christ. Well, look, the Christian life, it can be a bit of a roller coaster ride. Numbers warns us of that. But there is a way forward, a way that does not rely on ourselves, but it is the way of faith that looks to our faithful God, our shepherd, the God who blesses. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these ancient words that help us today to know how to look forward to our futures with confidence. And Father, we want to praise you this morning for all that you are to us, for your incredible faithfulness, for the way you guide us through our great shepherd, the Lord Jesus, and for the the many blessings we enjoy, both practically and spiritually, that come to us through Christ. We thank you, Father. Help us to be a people who look forward in faith, trusting you every step of the way. In Jesus' name, amen.